Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. When you have an autoimmune condition, you learn a lot about your own body very quickly. You learn that certain foods may trigger symptoms and make you not feel very well, and you learn how stress impacts you. You also learn how easy it is to feel great one minute and terrible the next. Autoimmunity is tough to live with, and it can take years or even decades to get a diagnosis. But luckily, the more we learn about the body, the more help we can provide for those with autoimmune conditions. What's up, everyone? I'm Brian Carroll, and I'm here to help people move more, eat well, and be adventurous. And today, I have Dr. Allison Danby on the show to share with us how to manage autoimmune conditions. Before we dive into this episode, our 100 Squat Challenge for October has officially started this morning, and there is still time to jump in. We will be doing 31 different squat positions over the next 31 days, and all the donations will be given to the Northwest Avalanche Center to provide avalanche education for this upcoming season. To join the challenge, go to summitforwellness.com slash squat challenge. Now, let's dive into my conversation with Allison. Dr. Allison Danby is a naturopathic physician who specializes in autoimmune conditions. She works with patients to figure out the puzzle leading to their symptoms by looking at their entire health history, environment, and lifestyle factors. Thank you, Allison, for coming onto the show. Thank you, Brian, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course, and I know we'll be talking about autoimmunity, but I would love to learn a little bit more about you, your background, and what got you into uh, naturopathic medicine. So I have been a naturopathic doctor and a functional medicine practitioner for over 14 years. Um, And I got into it uh, after a previous career that um, I just really missed working with people, educating on health and wellness. And um, I knew that there was so much more that I could do with my educational experience. And so that's when I kind of joined into naturopathic medicine. And it's been a perfect fit. purely because I get to inspire people every single day. And I kind of feel like they're health detective um, when we're trying to figure out why, why is something happening? Why have you been diagnosed with this? What is, what is causing these problems? And so it's been a, a really fun journey to uh, get here after 14 years. And what made you so interested in autoimmunity? Uh, that's a good question. So there's two things that happened. Um, it was after I, it was in my fourth year of naturopathic medicine uh, that I got diagnosed with my own autoimmune condition, uh, Hashimoto's, uh, which was an eye opener for me. And I had to very quickly navigate that and figure that out for myself. Uh, and I still wasn't really into autoimmune with a lot of my clients until about fast forward five years later when I had already put my condition into remission. Um, I started having clients coming in and we're going through the exact same thing I was going through. Just They knew that there was more that they could do. Uh, they weren't getting the answers in conventional medicine about why was this happening? How can diet help? How can other things that in their lifestyle help to even just reduce the symptoms and make the medication better? And so that's when I started to uh, really jump into the autoimmune as a huge advocate of there is so much more that we can be doing other than just the pharmaceutical route. And I have absolutely nothing against the pharmaceutical route, but I think that there's other things that we can be working on to make it more effective and to make it less aggressive. 
Um, so that's kind of what led me into that. And that was about, I'm going to say about seven years ago now. Can you talk about if someone goes to um, a, com- a conventional physician, what is it typically like for uh, receiving that diagnosis of an autoimmune condition? And then what are the typical treatment options? Okay, so this, that, the whole process on average for most people takes about five years um, from what I hear from clients and what research says. So what people tend to notice is they're feeling a little bit off and it's, it's predominantly women. So the population of people with autoimmune, it's about 70% women versus men. And so for women, a lot of the time will happen around hormone changes. So whether we're, you know, um, getting pregnant, having children, uh, menopause. So we have a lot of the symptoms that we start to experience, whether we're tired, brain fog, pain, we can very easily kind of make excuses. And so it'll be a couple of years and we start to notice things are getting worse and worse. We go to the doctor, they'll kind of do assessment, um, but most people find they don't get the diagnosis for about five years. And a lot of the time that's because you have to wait till you have certain criteria to make that diagnosis. So they'll test you for your antibodies. They may not be high enough. Um, You may not have as much inflammation. You may not have that collection of like 10 symptoms or seven out of 10 to get that autoimmune diagnosis. Now, what I'm also seeing is a lot of people that are coming into the clinic and saying that their doctors think it's autoimmune, but they don't have the collection of symptoms that can categorize them into an autoimmune um, category, for example, lupus, but it's kind of like lupus. So there's a lot of people that haven't been diagnosed or that don't have a diagnosis, but it's autoimmune-like. And so that can be a really long and frustrating journey for a lot of people. Um, And then once you get that diagnosis, then you're immediately kind of put into this protocol of, okay, so this is the pharmaceutical that we give you, or this is the protocol of steroids that we give you first. Um, And then it's a wait and see game. So there's a lot of wait and see. There's a lot of time elapsed from diagnosis. And in this whole period of that five years, and some people it's longer, some people it's less, you have more and more damage happening. And so for a lot of people, it's it's a scary process. And it's a relief to get the diagnosis, but it's not, it, it really then it kind of opens up a whole another big picture of, okay, what do I do now? Which is, I, I think, even more overwhelming. Um, because the answers that we are given when we're get, we get the diagnosis aren't necessarily the ones that we want um, but so it's a frustrating journey. It can be a very frustrating journey. And there's nothing, nothing against the medical community because they're doing exactly what they need to be doing um, because their solutions are strong. So they need to make sure that you are officially getting this diagnosis and that there is this happening before they give you their medications. Um, but I think there's a whole paradigm that we're missing in between there of how can we slow this down and how can we prevent it from getting that far? And then once we do get that far and get that diagnosis, how can we get it so the medication works better? Or even the end game where you can actually get off the medication is what I'm ultimately working for with a lot of my clients. For some people, it's achievable. For some people, it's not. Now, you said 70% of autoimmunity happens uh, for women. Yes. Why do you think that is? You mentioned hormones, but is that the entire story or do you have other theories? 
Well, so there's a there's a couple theories on this, and there's not a lot of research on it. Um, but one of the the biggest thing is hormones. So progesterone is a very beneficial hormone for women to actually calm the immune system and reduce inflammation. And progesterone is the one that is very easily manipulated. So anytime we have a lot of stress, progesterone is then shunted. It's called the pregnenolone steel. It's shunted to make cortisol. So women are actually in a progesterone deficient state. Or what we can look at the flip side, an estrogen dominant state and estrogen for a lot of autoimmune conditions will drive to that TH17 um, state, which triggers uh, the whole inflammatory and immune complex. So hormones play a really big factor. The other thing about women, um, which is kind of some of the research is alluding to, is that we have much more aggressive immune systems because we do carry children or, you know, we have the nine months of pregnancy. Our immune systems have to be more vigilant and more aggressive because of that factor. Um, so it, it's beneficial when we're pregnant. However, when we're not pregnant, for a lot of people, it's you still have that aggressive immune system. It doesn't shut off um, and it can be a problem. Um, does xenoestrogens also uh, influence that estrogen dominant state? 100%. That's a great uh, question. Yes, they do. So what they tend to do is they'll block the receptor, the estrogen receptor. And then what happens is your body actually has more estrogen in it that's not being used properly. So there's a couple different variations that it can play into. Um, but yeah, they can, they can definitely impact the overall hormonal imbalance in the body. So um, can you briefly just touch on what is autoimmunity? Because we didn't really cover that and just talk about what's going on within the body when there's an autoimmune condition. Absolutely. So what autoimmune is, is essentially when your body starts to attack itself. Now that can happen for many different reasons, but for most people, there's a trigger. So it could be something, you know, a really stressful event that then cascades and creates all these different um, scenarios, such as a leaky gut, hormone changes, sleep changes. And what happens then is the immune system cannot resolve the problem. So for most people, the immune system has a trigger. So whether it's bacteria, virus, stress, anything along those lines, it can typically resolve this problem. And then you go back to a normal healthy state. So for example, you get a cold or flu, immune system kicks in, resolves the problem, done. For people with autoimmune, and this is where the genetic component can come into play, um, or other factors as well, they are lacking the ability to have that resolution or the body needs help with that resolution. So they're not achieving resolution from these triggers, virus, bacteria, whatever it may be. And so what happens then is the immune system is upregulated and it's almost calling for more troops. And there's a couple different scenarios that can play out, but one of the ones that we see most of the time or one of the theories that's kind of the strongest theory is what I call friendly fire. And so when your immune system is getting up, regulated and you know really trying to resolve this problem, it's gonna call in more troops. And the more troops that we have in, the more that can happen damage to a, um, something that's our self. So whether it's a joint or an organ. The other thing that can happen is when your immune system sees a bacteria, and this is where the research is coming out really strong right now. So immune system sees a bacteria, a certain bacteria is a problem. Now that bacteria can look so close to the receptors on your organ or the receptors on your joint. And that's one that's been really coming out strong with rheumatoid arthritis is that there's a link to bacteria and the, the immune system can't tell the difference between the bacteria and the type four collagen that it's being exposed to. 
So then you have damage. Yeah, it's, it. you know, the research of the last 10 to 15 years is really amazing about looking at the cause of why is something happening. And then there's a whole another theory of like along the um, lines with the resolution that we we're talking about earlier, that impacts your mitochondria in every single cell in your body. And when your mitochondria feels threatened, it can't produce energy anymore. And so one of the very first things that we see is the energy is being shunted out. The ATP that we produce in these mitochondria is being shunted out to tell the body danger, danger, danger. So when it's not in the cell anymore, it can actually give you energy. So the very first symptom that we tend to see is a drop in energy, fatigue. Hmm. And that's the thing I hear from every single client that comes in is fatigue. My fatigue, I'm exhausted, I'm tired all the time. And so, and it's not a lack of sleep. For a lot of people, they're napping or sleeping at night. It's just fatigue. So our goal is to help find out why is the, what's the trigger? And the trigger is different for everyone. Um, It could be bacteria, viral, fungal. Um, It could be, you know, it's having really high stress levels that are causing your body to change the way the hormones are being presented, the way your um, digestion is functioning. Foods can be triggers. So we find out, we try to identify the trigger. And once we remove the trigger, then the body says, ah. And it calms to an extent, depending on how long you've had the condition for and how aggressive it is. So going back to bacteria, um, Mm -hmm. we obviously we have the microbiome. So we have bacteria in our guts that's supposed to be there. Um, And can we have autoimmune type responses to that bacteria? Or is this uh, bacteria that is not natural to the system? So yes, both. That's another really great question. Um, So we can have pathogenic bacteria. Um, But we can also have an immune response to our own natural flora. And that's what's coming out of a lot of the digestive. So ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, that's some of the research that's coming out on that. And that's really, really hard to treat because your immune system has a memory. So if it's creating a memory against your own bacteria, then we really have to do a lot to calm the immune system as opposed to just remove that bacteria because we can't. Um, Fungal is another one that is a natural flora within us. And for a lot of people, especially thyroid, Hashimoto's, they have an immune response to yeast or candida albicans, which is a fungal. Uh, mold is another huge trigger, which is a whole nother episode, probably. We could talk for hours about that. But mold is a really big trigger that compromises the immune system. And we're all exposed to mold. But mold is kind of one of those things that trumps everything. And when your immune system has now picked it up as a problem, every time you're exposed to mold, it your immune system is upregulated or or, um, activated. And so you're absolutely right. It can be good. It can be bad. It can be anything that you're being exposed to on a regular basis as well. Are there specific autoimmune conditions that are the most common? Absolutely. So some of the most common ones that I see in uh, practice are rheumatoid arthritis, lupus. Uh, I see a lot of Hashimoto's or a lot of undiagnosed Hashimoto's. And we actually, um, people come in with thyroid conditions and we'll run the antibody panel and find out actually it's Hashimoto's, which is the autoimmune um, hypothyroid. I treat a lot of Graves, Rogens, um, ankylosis, spondylosis, uh, PCOS. Uh, The one that I'm seeing a lot more of is mixed connective tissue. Uh, which is uh, more of a muscular pain and a traveling muscular pain. Uh, So we need to kind of figure out what is causing that and what's triggering the immune system. And I see when we do testing for that, uh, we see a lot of bacteria, mold, Lyme coming back for that one. 
Interesting. Mm-hmm. So for that one, uh, mixed connective tissue, can you talk about uh, what are some of the symptoms with that? And then um, if you do have that, what's going on in the body? I'm really curious about that one. <laughs> okay. So I think you and everyone else are as well, because it's it's a really... <laughs> It's, it's one of those that I feel is we don't know what's going on, so we're going to give you this. Um, I've had a lot of clients come in from multiple doctors, and they're not sure, but they think it's an autoimmune condition. So they can have some anti-marker, antibody markers show up, but it's not consistent with lupus. It's not consistent with RA. It's a lot of traveling joint pain, um, a lot of fatigue. Uh, stiffness can happen. It feels more like it's in the muscles, though. So a lot of kind of um, this muscle ache or, you know, deep pain. So it's, it's different. It presents differently than a lot of the other conditions. Like you're not seeing degenerative changes on the joints. Um, but that's typically what I'm seeing a lot of is the fatigue and the pain. And the pain will move in different places or it's an overall entire body pain. Um, I almost think it's uh, kind of like a... Um, fibromyalgia picture as well. So I think they're, they're closely similar um, characteristics to it. And once again, fibromyalgia is another one that we're like, well, we don't really know. We don't have a lot of tests. We're testing for the points, um, but what's causing this? And I think that's the whole main thing is that we have to look at is the location is one thing. So lupus, RA, they all have different locations that they're attacking. And that's one of the ways that we get the diagnosis. But the underlying cause is always the immune system. It's always upregulated and it's causing damage. And you're seeing a lot of kind of autoantibodies. Now, one of the interesting things that research has shown us is that people that are living to um, well over 100 years are coming back with antibodies to a lot of different things, but they're not having the symptoms that are associated with autoimmune. So the autoantibodies are present, but they're not having the overactive immune system to the extent where they're seeing damage. So it's really fascinating that, but the underlying cause is always the immune system. And so we always have to kind of look back, not necessarily at the area it's targeting, because it's only a matter of time before it targets other areas when it's not resolved. Yeah. So if the immune system's upregulated and it's, uh, you know, working so hard to try and clear out whatever it is that's in the system, um, how do you know, first off, that it's bad for the system to do that and then second how do you start to uh, get the immune system to calm itself down so uh how do we know it's bad is based on symptoms and so testing is one thing so testing we've we've had people come back with positive antibodies um that are slightly elevated, but they have no symptoms. So whether we're definitely kind of not as aggressive with that, like we're still making some really great lifestyle changes. We're still making a lot of things to prevent that from going further. And we do see a lot of times those will drop down. Um, But if we're starting to see a lot of symptoms, and most of the people I would say that come into my office are pretty advanced symptoms at this point, um, because it's debilitating, it's changing their life and they don't like how it's changing it. And they also don't want it to progress further um, because the fear of what is going to happen is there. And sorry, what's the second part of how do we address this? Is that the second part? Yeah, if the immune system is upregulated, how do you calm it down? Okay, so that's that's when we're starting to look at, okay, what are we looking? We're looking for the cause. So we'll do testing to identify the cause. There's a lot of great functional tests that are out there now that are looking. So you can look at the GI map, um, stool analysis are great. 
Just because it's in the gut, though, doesn't mean it's causing an immune response. So the one that I typically use is Kyrex Array 12, which is looking at the chronic, the IgG reaction to, I think it's 28 different pathogens. They might have added a few more. Um, but it's looking at the most common pathogens that are out there that could be elevating the immune response. So what we start to do is once we can kind of identify based on their health history of what they've gone through, like, did this all start happening after you traveled and got food poisoning? Well, that's a huge clue to us. So depending on what their health history is, is kind of where we would go functional testing. Um, some of the first things that I always do for every single person is we look at diet. And I, so I'm certified in the autoimmune paleo diet, and I will start there. Whether we do the full autoimmune paleo diet or not is really case dependent. So we may just start with more of a modified paleo, or um, we may do the full autoimmune paleo. Start with diet, always look at hormones. And for women, since I, most of the population is women, that's who I see, I would say probably 80% of my um, autoimmune clients, well, probably higher, almost 90% are female. Um, I see a lot of uh, men with MS more so than any other autoimmune condition. So we start to look at hormones and how much is stress playing into it. We start to look at routines. So bedtime, what, what time are you going to bed? Um, that was one of the biggest triggers for me with my autoimmune condition is I was staying up late to study. I was in my fourth year of board exams, working three jobs, just trying to get through to the end of my schooling. And that was a huge trigger. So we start to look at the lifestyle and we just start making small changes. Um, there are probably about 100 changes we could make, but I find that if we can just start making small little steps forward, those are the ones that get the best results. Those are the ones that are going to actually help propel people and encourage them to make more lifestyle changes. And that's when we start to see the immune system just almost taking a breath. Like the central nervous system comes down. Our hormones start to balance. Digestion starts to improve. Energy then starts to improve. Uh, brain fog goes away. So once we start addressing all those underlying causes. Yeah, so it's it's not a super easy process, right? It's not. And there's a lot of complication to it. There is. There it, it is definitely not an easy process and having gone through it myself, it was um there was ups and downs, but I I will say within the first uh month of my own condition, I noticed a huge I feel like I had my life back. I felt like I had my energy back. I could actually stay up for 10 hours a day, I could actually focus and think my it just the difference that it made within the first month was enough to motivate me to keep going. And then I was able to put it in remission. And it's always something in the back of mind because it could pop back up. And so I'm testing I test now every two years, I used to test every year. Um, I've gotten to the point now where it hasn't I, my antibodies are really controlled. So I'm testing every two years. Um, Am I 100% with what I did back 14 years ago? Absolutely not. Like I've introduced a lot of different things into my diet, but I'm still mindful that this is there and I do need to keep the balance um, within my life. And that's how I kind of describe it to a lot of my clients is doing a complete overhaul, like a 12-week program is just so overwhelming. So that's why we take like a full year to just kind of go through this journey. And every month we're kind of working on something new. So it's not overwhelming and you're still moving forward and getting success. And once you get a few milestones back of like feeling better, seeing improvement on labs, reducing medications, you're really motivated to keep going because you feel great. You feel like you're 20 again. <laughs> we all want to feel that way, right? <laughs> exactly. I think that's the key to uh, anti-aging as well, not just autoimmune, but yeah. 
it's it really the power of feeling good really can motivate you. So uh, you mentioned a few times now that you t- can test for antibodies. Yes. Do you recommend pretty much everyone go and do some antibody uh, panels just to have and see changes as they age? Or is it just too expensive to do that? Well, so it is expensive. It can be expensive to do it. Um, So I I think it depends on your mindset. Um, If you were okay, so this is the thing is it could come back positive. You have no symptoms and you don't necessarily, it doesn't mean it's ever going to develop into a problem. Um, so it could, I, I, I don't, everyone has to answer that individually for themselves. For me, do I want to know if I have all the antibodies? I'm okay with knowing that because then I know I can be proactive. I have other clients though that have done it and it scares them. So it, it creates this more anxiety and fear of the unknown and what's going to happen. So if you're in that mindset of you know that health stuff scare you, then I don't necessarily think going and getting a baseline antibody test is the best thing unless you're having symptoms. But this is that's a really it's a great question, but I think it's a very personal question based on um, your personality and how you can cope and your support system. Because I've had patients that we've done that and it was definitely the wrong decision for them because it created so much more anxiety. Whereas I've had other clients that are like, great, I know I need to know this to keep me in check. So I think it's very individually based on that. And it is expensive. So it just depends on how much. Um, I will say, though, if you have autoimmune in the family, I would definitely, if you start to notice that you're having fatigue and you're having a little bit more pain, then instead of making excuses, well, I have this because of this, then I would go get tested and just kind of rule out, make sure that it isn't something that's going on in the background, um, because it is a lot easier to prevent than to try to reverse. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, like gene testing when you do like a 23andMe um, and they always ask and then double ask, are you sure you want to know if you have the gene for Alzheimer's? And so I'm going to assume that came from, you know, a lot of anxiety and stuff that approached when they first started doing those tests. I agree. I think it is very individual and personality based on whether you want that. I do love baseline testing just so then we can see. Um, but I usually encourage, and, and I'll be honest, because we are private um, private practice, so it's cash-based practice up in Canada, um, a lot of people aren't coming in for preventative. They're coming in more of, I'm at this state, what can I do to help it? So it's more of a reactive state than a preventative state. Yeah. Um, so can you have symptoms of autoimmune, but also have um, labs that are showing that you're in the normal ranges and everything looks good? Or is there always going to be something that's going to stand out? No, I, th- I think you can have that. So and and this is the thing is, uh, so we only know what we can test, but like we don't, there's so much more that we could probably test for, but the tests haven't been identified. So for example, the, the Chirex Array 12 that I mentioned earlier, 28 pathogens. Well, there's probably hundreds of pathogens that are out there, um, but we only know the sequence or the testing for those ones. And so I think that there is a lot more that we are not able to test for. So I think more so, this is these are the clients that I get that are the unknown autoimmune. They have autoimmune-like conditions, but they don't have the antibodies or they don't have certain markers to get them that diagnosis. So you can definitely still have the symptoms. and. Um, of an autoimmune condition. 
And for people too, and I, I just think that that's because their genetic potential isn't necessarily an autoimmune response. It's more of like an inflammatory response or um, more of uh, like methylation issues. So we just have to look outside the box of like, okay, well, why are you having this? And that's why I really don't love labels on conditions. It's more of, okay, what is happening? Why is it happening? And how do we fix that? How do we stop that trigger or that cause? and put everything back into a normal state. And that's, so it's the same detective work that we're doing, whether you've been um, on a new diagnosis or just symptoms like. Let's do a little just mock-up scenario of that detective work. So let's say I've bounced around from uh, doctor to doctor for the last five years, trying mm -hmm. to figure out what the heck's going on with me. Um, finally, someone thinks I might have Crohn's, so I'm coming to you. What would mm -hmm. the next steps be? Okay, so the first step is always we do a at least an hour to an hour and a half full history. So we go through every system in your body. So we will talk digestion probably for most of that visit. Find out your history. Have you ever had food poisoning? Have you ever had um, irritable bowel symptoms? When did that start? Was it in high school at puberty? Was it when you were a child? Did you have food intolerance as a baby? Did you tolerate formula well? Like we go into full detail. I want to know everything about your digestive history. Then we look at all the other symptoms or systems. So, you know, are you having any pain anywhere else? Um, have you ever been bit by a bug and had a reaction, whether it's Lyme or sand fleas or mosquitoes? Um, have you ever traveled and had diarrhea? So we just look at everything in your life, every possible question. Have you had mono in the past? Did you ever feel well since then? And because the way I look at it is we want to see how full your bucket is. And the more that we can remove from your bucket, the stressors from your bucket, the less symptoms you're going to have. Um, we will definitely talk nutrition and diet. We will talk activity level for Crohn's. So are you a marathon runner? Or do you enjoy excessive exercise? All those different things. And then what we'll do is for Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, typically what I do is some sort of GI testing because it's in the, di the digestive tract. So whether um, based on what you have told me in your initial visit, I will either do a GI map or doctor's data stool analysis um, cult with a culture. Uh, I don't do a lot of SIBO testing unless it's really, really clear SIBO case, uh, just because there's a lot of controversy with the false positives and the false negatives, depending on which one you're using. Um, but we'll do testing and figure out kind of what do we need to do or where what what is living in your gut and how is your gut function and how much inflammation do you have. Uh, and then from that point, once we kind of figure out, we'll make some lifestyle changes while we're waiting for the results to come back. A lot of people kind of settle, digestion settles. Um, and then from that point, we'll just see what the results come back and then start treating what the cause is. So we're looking for the cause balancing stress, getting your sleep, doing all of the things that we know that we need to do. I'm going to now hold you accountable to do them. And all of those things impact how it's like the butterfly effect. You know, you get a good night's sleep. Well, that's just changed the way you deal with stress the next day. It's also changing the way you're eating the next day as well. So the, it's, it's amazing what small little changes can make to an overall complicated condition. Well, I feel very confident that you're going to take care of me. So that sounds much better than all the 45 doctors that I just went to. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, and no disrespect for them because I think that they're definitely doing an incredible job. Their goal, and this is where, this was my big aha when I got diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, is understanding different positions in the medical care system. And I get a lot of referrals now from specialists 
saying, okay, I know that there's more that you need to be doing. I just don't know what that piece is. And so they'll refer them to me. So they'll do the medication piece. They'll make sure that this person is not in danger anymore of further destruction or even death. And they've ruled out a lot of the really scary stuff like cancer. So their main goal is acute medicine, whereas ours is more of, okay, now you've got this diagnosis or let's prevent it. Now let's start to look at how we can make your quality of life that much better. You may never get off this medication or we just may make it so you don't need three or four next medications or higher doses um, and we just help you manage through it. And our ultimate end goal for everyone is always hopefully to get off the medication, but for some people, it's just not a reality. But that's that's kind of how I look at it. And that was my big aha moment. I was expecting my specialist to have all the answers. I'm like, why do I have this? Was it stress levels? Was it diet? And she didn't have those. And when I start to look back at her education, she wouldn't have those based on her education. Like they're only given four or five hours of nutrition. So why would I be asking her nutrition questions? Of course, she can't answer that. Um, and so I think that's really the big thing for people to understand is managing your expectations when you're going into your doctor's office and you starting asking them questions about hormones and diet and this supplement, they're not going to know those. And it's not fair for you to be asking them that because they just, they don't have, that's not in their realm of education. And honestly, they don't really have the time to dig deep into that exactly. too, because they have, you know, they only have six to 10 minutes to see someone. They don't mm -hmm. have that hour and a half that you spend with someone on their first visit. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct on that. And, and their schedules, like they just, they don't have the time to do a lot of that research as well, because their priorities are a little bit different than what my priorities are. I, I can spend hours on PubMed looking through like melatonin and autoimmune conditions. And so it's, yeah, they just don't have that luxury as we do. Yep. They just got to make sure that you don't die tomorrow. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so if we know what, what to expect from them. Then I don't feel like we have that frustration or disappointment as well. Well, Allison, is there any final things you want to touch on uh, just in, with autoimmunity in general before we wrap up here? Um, I, think, I think the main thing is, is so if you suspect, if you haven't already been diagnosed with a condition and you suspect you have a family history of it and you just haven't been feeling great, then reach out because there is so much that you can do in that wait and kind of wait and see phase that you can do to prevent you ever from getting to that point, to ever getting to the point where the immune system is so fired up. And if you have been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, I want you to know that there's so much that you can do to help manage it and to help get the quality of life back. And for you just to feel good. It does take work, um, but it is well worth it. Trust me, I've got tons of clients that have gone through it. And all of them would do it again in heartbeat, including myself. I would, if I had to go through that journey again, I would do it again in heartbeat. And one of the things that I often find is a lot of people will go through this journey. Um, I actually call it the lottery phase. So they've gone through the journey and then little other things crop back in. So diet starts to go back to the standard North American diet. Stress levels start to get really high again. And it's the same as, you know, 85% of the population that wins the lottery goes back to the state they were three to five years later. The same with autoimmune, I find, is this something we have to stay on top of um, and really just make sure that we're, we're mindful of our habits. Can I eat whatever I want right now? I can. I still like, you know, I still follow my diet plan, I would say 90% of the time. But if I've got a, a fun event coming up, I'll enjoy certain foods and I won't have a flare because I've gotten to that state. So there's so much that we can do and get you there. 
And then my final question is, what do you do every day to improve your own health? Okay, so every single day, I make sure I walk the dog for my balance. Um, I really try to focus on clean eating. So, you know, eating lots of vegetables, um, making sure that my calories are empty calories and that they're counting with a lot of nutrients. And I have a killer bedtime routine with gratitude. And I had to put this in place because I am a night hawk. So if I didn't have a really exciting thing for me to get to bed about, like my nice fluffy duvet and my gratitude and my book, then I probably would be staying up way too late and it would compromise my health. <laughs> so I have a killer bedtime routine. Awesome. Well, people can find you at alisondamby.com. You're also on Facebook and Instagram. Is that correct? Yes, I am. Yes, you can find me there. And, and the Autoimmune Academy is another um, area in Facebook that I have. Um, we have a, a group that you can join where we just talk through some strategies and um, simple little steps that you can do to improve your health. And if people want to work with you one-on-one, do you only do in-person or also virtually? We do have virtual. Um, We do have limitations on who we can work with, but definitely reach out to us and we will find the best approach for you based on where you're located and um, how we can work with you. Perfect, Allison. Thank you so much. I mean, autoimmunity seems to be growing more and more. So this mm-hmm. is a information that definitely needs to get out there. And uh, especially if it takes, you know, five years for someone to figure out what the heck's going on with them. Um, hopefully this can shorten that time frame down a little bit so they can get the help they need. I agree. Thank you so much for having me on, Brian, and for getting that information out there to everyone. If you have an autoimmune condition and would like some help to figure out the best course of treatments for you, Check out the work Dr. Allison is doing at allisondamby.com. And if you liked this episode, share it with a friend and leave us a quick review. Those reviews help out a lot in the podcasting world. And if you want to join the Squat Challenge for October, then make sure to join ASAP so you can fully utilize the entire duration of the challenge. So go to summitforwellness.com slash squat challenge to learn more. Next week, I have Ashley Van Houten on the show. Let's go learn who she is. I am here with Ashley Van Houten. Hey, Ashley, what is one unique thing about you that most people don't know? Oh, you should have warned me about these things. This is like quick fire. I got to know. Um, <laughs> okay, one, one thing that people don't know. Um, okay, uh, I'm a huge like sci-fi nerd, and I read a lot of science fiction books, and I was obsessed with the X-Files when I was a kid. So there you go. Do you watch the new versions of X-Files? Is there a new one? Like, I knew the latest season. I probably watched it just because, like, I'm in love with Mulder. But, like, uh, it's not as good. The new stuff is never as good. It's never as good, no. They try too hard. Yeah. Well, what will we be learning about in our interview together? You are going to learn about why eating organ meats is the smart way to go and why eating more protein and animal protein is good for your health and your muscles. And you're going to learn about why doing pull-ups is one of, I think, one of the most important physical exercises that anyone can do. And what are your top three health tips for anyone who wants to improve their overall wellness? My top three health tips for anyone who wants to improve their overall wellness would be first focus on getting the best quality and 
optimal amount of sleep that you can. People like to ignore this one or put it on the back burner because it's not as fun as working out, but it is crucially important and it will affect every other part of your health. That's the first one. The second one is to try to eat um, as much whole foods as you can, uh, a variety of unprocessed whole foods and protein. Don't forget protein. Protein first, always. Ideally, animal protein, um, but just trying to stick to the outskirts of the grocery store instead of those middle aisles with everything in packages and preservatives is going to be a huge step in the right direction for most people. And then lastly, maybe the biggest one um, to improve your overall wellness, I would say to just don't be afraid to pick your own path to do the work, to test things out for yourself. Don't follow somebody just because they're buff or popular on Instagram or because everyone else seems to be doing it doesn't mean that it's good for you. So it's going to take more work and more effort to find out what your optimal uh, nutrition and workout plan is, but more work is worth it in the end and you'll be happier and it'll be more sustainable. So do your own thing, do the work and uh, it'll pay off in the end. If you are curious about how to add different organ meats into your diet, then next week's episode is for you. So until then, keep climbing to the peak of your health.